Wonderful to see you at Edge Church this morning. My bracket is busted. I got to admit, I entered into this NCAA tournament with a lot of confidence because last year I had two of the final four teams that were picked. Can I just brag for just a moment? And it's not going so well this season. In fact, the number 15th ranked St. Peter's University knocked off the number two Kentucky Wildcats. How is that even possible? And to make matters worse, the St. Peter's mascot is the the Peacocks. Now, how does that sound for a winning basketball club? The Peacocks. What's the name of your team? We're the proud Peacocks. The Peacocks. And in the women's play, the Florida Gulf Coast number 12 seeded team took down the Virginia Tech Mighty Warriors there. It sounds like a JUCO, doesn't it? Florida Gulf Coast. Who has ever heard of Florida Gulf Coast University. Well, we've been in a series that we kicked off last week called Cinderella Stories. We've been talking about the underdogs taking down the champions, and we're seeing this on the stage of the NCAA tournament, but it's also true that all throughout Scripture, there are underdogs, people that everyone else counted out that did great things for God. And last week we looked at a a boy that had died. He was on his way to be buried there in a coffin. He was interrupted by Jesus who raised him and gave him to his mom. Wow, nobody thought that he would ever live again. And I'm thinking about the pages of scripture. I'm thinking about like Abraham when God said to him, you're going to be the father of a great nation But Abraham could not even conceive a son. He was an underdog. It's a Cinderella story. What about David when he stepped onto the field of battle with that nine-foot monster, Goliath? It's a Cinderella story, isn't it? And we find one also in the 13th chapter of the book of Numbers. Numbers 13. I want you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the Old Testament passage Because this is one of the great Cinderella stories of the Old Testament. And to set the stage, um, the people of God have been slaves for 400 years. Can you just imagine uh, being a slave for for, for multiple generations? Like your great, 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 great granddad was a a slave in Egypt. Well, the, the Israelite people felt forsaken there in Egypt. And they had been making bricks and working seven days a a week and uh, having no personal property, you know, no appreciation, no life really to speak of as we know it there as a slave. And then one day God sent an underdog. His name was Moses. Moses had been on the backside of the Midian Desert for 40 years Moses is now 80 years old and he begins to step into his destiny because he had an experience with God when he saw a burning bush that told him to go back to Egypt and to liberate the people. And Moses said, I can't do it. But with some provoking from the Lord, uh, Moses finally agreed 
And he goes before the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh is extremely resistant. He laughs. He thinks it's a joke. But then God brings the 10 plagues on the Egyptians. And all of a sudden, the Pharaoh changes his mind. So now the people of God are liberated. They uh, are traveling across the desert into the land of promise that God had promised them. Because God had spoken very clearly to the Israelites, one day you guys will live in a land of milk and honey. And in scripture, milk and honey, the land of milk and honey is the place of abundance. It's the place of blessing. In fact, every single one of us that's here today wants to live in the land of milk and honey. Like we want to have a healthy family. We want to have enough money to pay our bills. We want to have a good life. We're looking for that, that place of blessing. And the Israelites in Numbers 13 and 14 are right on the precipice of walking into the destiny that God had promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. But there's only one problem. The people are afraid. You know, fear can get in the way of the destiny that God has for your life. For, for you to step into that land flowing with milk and honey, we have to overcome the, the, the fear and the obstacles. And listen, the greater the blessing, the greater the adversity. And so the Israelites have made it all the way. They, they can see the land of promise. And God tells Moses, send 12 spies into the land of Canaan to check it out. Do some reconnaissance. So they appoint one man for each of the tribes of Israel. They go in for several days, they check it out, and they bring a report back to Moses. But unfortunately, even though God had said, I'm going to give you the land, 10 of the 12 spies said, we cannot do it. And only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can take the land. And so they spread a negative report. Now look at this in Numbers 13, 27. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And here is some of the fruit. In other words, this is, this is an awesome place. I mean, like God told us it was going to flow with milk and honey. There's crops. There's, there's fertility there. There's, there's, there's beauty. There's, there's water. There's, there's crops. I mean, it, this is awesome. We want it. But we're afraid. The people are too big. And there's an obstacle that's before us. And listen, if we're going to step into that place of milk and honey, if we want to overcome uh, the adversities before us, we, we have to, number one, stop looking at our obstacles. Now, see, the, the, the obstacle for the Israelites was that the cities were fortified, the people were large, and the Israelites didn't have much military might. I mean, think about it. If you've been a slave in Egypt, have you ever been trained in warfare? Have, do you know how to fight? Does the army know how to march? Do people know how to handle a sword? No way. They've been making bricks back in Egypt. The Israelites don't know anything about fighting. And now there's these big large people with weapons 
and money and resources and these tremendously fortified cities. And now God has promised to give us the land flowing with milk and honey. But there's just a big problem. We, we, we can't do it. In fact, if you go on and read the passage, the people say that we feel like grasshoppers in the sight of these warriors, these men. So, so we're insignificant. We're insecure. We, we're thinking about what we cannot do. And we're looking in the eye of this destiny and this plan that God has for our lives. Listen, as long as you're looking at your obstacles Instead of the size of your God, you will always be overwhelmed. You will always be outnumbered. And I've titled this message this morning, I'm Outnumbered, because there's many times in our lives we feel like the enemy, the opponents, the, 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 the individuals around us have more resources and have more than we do. And there's giants around us. And many times the size of our giants will determine the size of our blessings, if we're not careful. But you know what's crazy? The Israelites had forgotten about all that God had already done. I mean, just think about it. It was just a short time before that God had split open the Red Sea. Now, don't you think if you saw the Red Sea split and you walked across on dry land, that that one single event would give you enough faith in your life to be able to take on whatever adversity was ever before you. I mean, you want to talk about something spectacular. Pharaoh's army tried to follow behind and God closed the water down. I mean, he, he wiped out the army. And then the Israelites are walking across that desert in between the land of promise and Egypt. And they don't have any food. And what does God do? God provides manna. Every morning, there's this dew-like substance that they gather to eat, and, and it's provision. And they're in a desert, but God is providing for them. So one time they were complaining they didn't have water. Moses took his staff and hit a rock, and what happened? A huge well erupted. Oh my goodness, the people, they've seen all this. They've seen God's blessing. They've seen God's power, but, but now... We have a giant before us and we cannot even remember what God has just done. Listen, church, the greatest ammunition you need to face your giants is what God has already done. It's all the stuff that God has already brought you through. Sometimes we just forget, don't we? Like we have spiritual amnesia. And listen, if you're like new to faith and you're checking this out and you're like, well, I don't really know if God's ever done anything for me, then read the Bible because God has always done great things and he's been doing great things for many, 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 many years. He's got lots of practice and he is the same God. It's not like there's an old God back in the Bible and a new God today. It's the same God. He's just, he's doing all the same stuff. Your, your adversity just has a new chapter to it. Amen. You're just facing a challenge that maybe you haven't faced before, but God has not changed. Your giant may have changed, but the faithfulness, the goodness of God is all the same. That's why our eyes are on God and not on our obstacles. We got to go back and just remember. And isn't it crazy that the Israelites have just seen 
all this amazing, spectacular stuff. I mean, they saw the plagues. They saw, they saw God's provision. They saw Pharaoh, you know, brought to his knees, the most powerful man in the world. And now all of a sudden we believe God cannot do what he says he's going to do. Look, look there uh, in, in verse 28 of Numbers 13. However, the people living in the land are strong. The cities are large and fortified. And we saw the descendants of Anak there, which were large people. Now, our salvation is not earned. That's, that's a free gift from God. But listen, the blessings of God are oftentimes tied to our faithfulness. So when we are faithful to do the things that God has put before us, there's blessing that comes there. The Israelites are going to find this 40 years later. God is going to get so frustrated with the Israelites because they, they, they got so afraid that he's going to have them wander in the desert for a whole generation. And when everybody from that generation dies, then God is going to open the door 40 years later for the Israelites to, to pass into the land of promise. And you know, it's just amazing because God um, is, a, is a creative God. I mean, you know, the Israelites are standing around, they're thinking about, well, we don't have the military might to take on these big cities and people, but God already had a plan. Now, if you fast forward to the book of Joshua, you see the conquest of Canaan. And how did the people win? Well, in Joshua chapter 10, God sends a hailstorm after the Canaanites, okay? And then after that, he causes the sun to stand still so the Israelites can finish off their opponents, okay? Now, how's that for leveling the field, okay? Um, at the Battle of Jericho, what happens? Is this a traditional battle? No! What happens? God causes an earthquake to come and to shake the walls down. Well, no wonder the Israelites won. At the battle of Ai, God gives them the blueprint of an ambush. And, and so God's methods, God's strategy is, is oftentimes outside the parameters of our expectation. See, so when God says, I'm going to give you the land flowing with milk and honey, that doesn't mean that God is dumb. It means that God has a plan that operates outside the norm and what we normally think about. Amen. So if we're going to overcome the obstacles that are before us, we have to remember these things. Now, I want you to think about, um, a, about a picture today. And I want you to put in this picture, okay, just imagine like a canvas, okay, and you're an artist. And I want you to paint yourself over here. And I want you to paint a picture of yourself, and I want you to think about the problem that you're facing right now, what your giant is, okay? And then over here, I want you to put down what your problem is. Okay, maybe, maybe it's some people at work, maybe it's your health, maybe it's, it's a financial struggle, maybe, maybe it's some, some, some other issues that are going on. And I want you to think about that giant, that obstacle, and then I want you to put yourself. And then I want you to put God in the middle of that picture. What would it look like if God was in the picture? See, a lot of times we look at our problems and we take God out of the picture. We think about ourselves and what we can do, and we think about the obstacles, what's before us, but the picture, listen, the reason that you're so stressed out this morning, the reason you're so anxious is because you have taken God out of the picture. We have to insert the deity of who God is and who God has always been 
And when we, when we begin to think about that, it begins to reframe how we see our circumstance and our problem. So listen, you can be hurting today. You can be struggling today. But at the same time, you can be so confident about the goodness and the power of God. It's a beautiful thing. Listen, when you're outnumbered, stop looking at your obstacles. And number two, stop listening to the majority. Okay, so check this out. There's 12 spies that go into the land and two come back and say, we can do it, Joshua and Caleb. 10 of the 12 say, there's no way. It's too great of a task. Now, I'm not really that good at math, but that's not even 50%. I mean, that, that is a minority, isn't it? You want to talk about the minority report, okay? Two of 10. And they spread a negative report. How many of you know that bad news always spreads faster than good news? Amen? Is that true? I mean, go to the website for the Denver Post and see how many positive stories are on the cover, right? Almost none. We love bad news. Okay, we're used to bad news. People, when good things happen, we don't say anything. When bad things happen, we tell everybody. And so a negative report is spread. Now, I'm just imagining that one of the wives of the... Um, of the, of the 10 spies went to Bunko and said, you know what, we can't do it, you know, and the report spread. And I'm thinking that one of the spies took a selfie for Instagram with a giant in the background while he was hiding in the bushes and he posted that and he said, we can't do it. And a negative report, now all of a sudden, everybody's like, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. Well, they said, well, Why? Because 10 people, and listen, those 10 were probably led by one or two, amen? Because a lot of times when you boil it down, the people that bring the negative report is usually a really small group, but, 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 but negativity spreads really, really fast. And Caleb tries to stop this. He speaks up because listen, we need to speak up when there's negativity around us. But it doesn't, it's not enough. The people have already bought it and they are freaking out. Look, look there in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the, uh, the, Israelites about the land they had scouted, the land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. Okay, that, that's probably a little sens sensationalization there. Okay, And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. Okay, they're bigger than us. When we even saw the Neph Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim to ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. In other words, they're, they're going to see us as, as, as little bitty and insignificant. Now, listen, man, when we're making choices, this doesn't mean we don't talk to people. This doesn't mean we don't get feedback. The Bible's not teaching us to, to be di dictatorial in our leadership, okay? But we, all, but we do need to be discerning, amen? Amen? And sometimes the majority 
is not always right. Amen? Like, where are my teenagers at? Listen, I hope that you don't, I hope you're not making your moral choices based on what the majority says over at the local high school. Because the majority is not always right. So sometimes it's the minority report that we need to read. Amen? So just because the majority says this, that doesn't always mean that's the right thing. And listen, if you're, if you're a person of the Lord and you love the Lord and a person of God, you know, speak up. Speak up. Be like Caleb. Caleb says, listen, man, I, 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 I'm reading from a different script. I mean, God said that we can take the land. So what's the problem, guys? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's quit looking at ourselves. Let's get our eyes on the Lord instead of these obstacles. And, and the glass is, is half full. It's not half empty. So, so our decisions should be made by the criteria of what has God said. See, listen, nothing else matters in your decision making other than what does God want me to do? That's the, that's the number one question. That is the only question that we should be trying to answer. What does God say? What does God want? If we get that right, we don't have to worry about what everybody else in the office says or the neighborhood or even our own family. If we understand what God says. A few years ago, Gina and I were going through some tough times and we were talking to one of our advisors who's a, who's a man of God, a good, a good brother who's given me a lot of counsel. And he said, Ryan, you're going through a tough time. Do not invest in real estate anymore. Don't do it. And so I went out and I invested in four properties. It is truly one of the greatest decisions that we ever made. I'm just telling you guys, sometimes there's people that mean well, that will give you advice, okay? We have to hear the voice of God. That's what matters. And no disrespect to our loved ones. But only we can discern what the Holy Spirit is saying in our life. Amen? I mean, you know, somebody asked me a question a few months ago. They came to church. They're like, Pastor, do we need to buy this house? And I think they wanted me to tell them yes or no. And that wasn't my answer because I don't know anything about their situation, you know. So I'm not going to tell people stuff that I don't know the answer to. You have to discern some of those things for yourself. You have to get with God and his word. You have to listen to the dictates of the Holy Spirit of God. I can't tell you every single decision you need to make. Listen, we understand what the Ten Commandments are. We understand what the teachings of Jesus are from the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about daily decisions today that are more subjective, that require discretion and discernment as a mature man or woman of God. And we have to hear the voice of God. And listen, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to be a contrarian. Don't be afraid to stand up and to be different. Don't be afraid to do what everybody else is not willing to do. This is the heart, man, of Caleb and Joshua. And it's beautiful to see. Now, let me give you some reminders as you're, as you're thinking about 
some contrarian decisions, okay? Remember this, number one, God is for me, okay? Romans 8, 31, that what then shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? Okay, listen, I know you're putting your neck on the line, but God is for you, okay? God is secondly in you, Colossians 1, 27. He is Christ in us, the hope of glory, okay? So you got... You got the fact that God is for me. You got the fact that God is in me. And you got a third thing going for you today. That is that God is with me. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. So Caleb and Joshua, I think, got this. The other ten, well, not so much. But a lot of people say believe in yourself. I'll tell you, man, when you're making hard decisions, you need to believe in God. Because when you're weak, you're strong. When you're weak, you're strong. Man, when you don't know what to do, but God has put a vision in your heart, when God has spoken into your life, you got to do it. When we were thinking about starting Edge Church, I had plenty of people tell me, don't do it. (laughs) Don't start the church. We have to discern what God wants us to do we have to do it and the Canaanites were bigger and they were better and the Israelites were filled with fear but God was for them God was with them don't take God out of the equation but there's a third thing I want you to see here today and and that is that if you're going to overcome obstacles and challenges you can't live in the past Okay, living in the past. Now look at Numbers 14, 1 through 4. When the whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night, all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. Okay, so the people are freaking out. Okay, there is a full-blown panic attack in the camp of the people of God. And the people are complaining about Moses and Aaron. Now wait a second. Who was the one that went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. It was Moses, right? And it wasn't that long ago. And now people want to kill him. Okay, This is Moses and his sidekick brother Aaron's fault. And the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a new leader and go back to Egypt. I mean, whoa! Wait, wait, wait. Would somebody pump the brakes for just a minute? The land of milk and honey is within eyesight. God has said, I'm going to give it to you. And what do the people do? We want to go back to Egypt. You know why people do that? Because many times we live in the past instead of embracing the present. See, all all they had ever known was be a slave. Have somebody else tell you what to do. Be disrespected. Be oppressed. Listen, sometimes when you lived in the land of oppression for so long, you don't even know how to walk in freedom. So when you get stressed, you go back to oppression. 
That's why people go back to addictions like over and over and over again. People live in the past. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I don't know what to do. What have I done in the past? Well, I'm just going to go drink all the time. I'm going to go back to the drugs because that's what I know. And one of the greatest enemies to us embracing that land flowing with milk and honey, the place of abundance, the place of blessing, is because we want to go back to Egypt. We'd rather live in the land of oppression. I've never had a good marriage before. I'll never have a good marriage. You know, everybody in my family's divorced or they just kind of try to stick it out and they're miserable. So that's all I know. And we want to go back. We're walking backwards. I want to go back to Egypt. It wasn't because Egypt was a good place. It was just because that was what was comfortable. And if every one of us is not careful, we we can go back to who we used to be. You know, the Bible says, listen, if you're in Christ, you're a what? You're a new creation. Amen? Like the old things have passed away and all things have become new. So don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to who you used to be. Don't go back to what you used to do. It's a place of comfort. We can all do it. And sometimes it's old mindsets, like putting ourselves down. You know? Sometimes it's old habits. Sometimes it's old friends. It's old. It's it's the old life. It's the old life. And it's comfortable. See, look, if we go back to Egypt, at least we know we'll have a little bit of food to eat. We'll have a place to live. So I'd rather have security and live in oppression than to take a chance that maybe God is up to something great. (laughs) This is the mindset of the people. And it's sad, isn't it? It's sad because... Again, they've just seen all these miracles. They've just seen God do all these great things. And now they get to the edge of the blessing and they run away from it. God wants us to understand the past, but he doesn't want us to live there. You know, to some degree, when we moved into this building a few years ago, we had to forget the past. We were a little tribe of people meeting in my living room, meeting in a school We would load everything that we had into a 26-foot trailer every Sunday after church. We would unload it every Sunday morning. For us to make that move into this facility, we, we had to forget who we were. There's something really healthy about that. Egypt is the place of bondage and oppression. The land of milk and honey is the place of blessing and prosperity. It's the place of the place of God. And we go back to those old, those old things, don't we? Look, look there in Numbers 13.30. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses. And he said, let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. Don't you love Caleb? I mean, he's the vocal one. Okay, Joshua's right there with him, but it's Caleb that's sounding the alarm. Guys, let's go do it. If God's for us, who can be against us? What are are we afraid of? And that's why in another passage in the Old Testament, it says that Caleb had a different spirit. Listen, that's my prayer for our church, is that we would be filled with people that have a different spirit. 
His spirit was, with God all things are possible. What's the hesitation? What are you afraid of? And in the book of Joshua, once the land of of Canaan is conquered, God gives uh, Caleb a special portion of land just to reward him for his faithfulness. When you see what others see, you can do what others can't do. Do you see it? When you see what others cannot see, you will do what others cannot do. This is Caleb. This is Caleb. And because he could see it, he got to be a part of it. It just took a while. Listen, don't live in the past. Negativity is a contagious disease. It's highly infectious. The opinion of 10 people spread to a whole nation, and many believe this is 1 to 2 million people. Can you just think about that? 10 people decided for the nation of Israel, which was somewhere between a million and two million people. Go figure the math on that. That's a very small group of people that set the whole destiny for the nation of Israel, isn't it? It's crazy. And verse 32 says, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had been exploring. And the land we explored devours those living in it. I mean, just just think about that. The land devours people. All the people we saw there are of great size. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. What, What is it in your life that you believe you cannot do? And what is God saying about that situation? What old mindsets or patterns do you have to let go of? You know, a few years ago, I don't know when, somebody told me that pastors don't know anything about money. And as a young pastor, I've been doing this a long time, so I, I, can, I, can, I can say things that I wouldn't say when I was like 30, you know. So, and so I had that in my mind, pastors don't know anything about money. And then... I began to think about that a little bit more, more critically as I got a little bit older. And the first church that I was pastoring was always broke. And I started helping out with the finance team. And guess what? We started putting money in the bank. You know, I helped get the loan together for this building. I'm not saying I'm the, like the greatest finance guy in the world. I'm not. But I had to let go of some old mindsets. I thought there were some things that I couldn't do. But there's some areas where I think God has gifted me. And I think probably for some of you, like you have some mindsets, I can do this, but I can't do that. I can go there, but I can't go there. What if we begin to retrain the brain and the guiding light for our decision making was what does God want me to do? Isn't that the greatest question right there? I'm not asking what your experience says. I'm not asking you what your resume says. I'm not asking you what training that you have. I'm just asking you today a big, bold, audacious question. What does God want you to do? And at the end of the day, if you can answer that question, then nothing else matters. 
What does God want you to do? What does God want you to do? So what do you do when you're outnumbered? When you're outnumbered, stop looking at your obstacles. Stop listening to the majority and stop living in the past. And if you can do that, I know you're going to live in a place of milk and honey. Let's pray together for just a moment.